0: Uh, we're talking about marriage, so if you want to turn to Ephesians chapter four, uh, I realize um, we're talking about marriage, but I want to want to encourage you uh, that it's Christ first. Christ first. Uh, I know that um, anyone who's married, I, I think that they would say they want a good marriage, want a, a good marriage, and not even just a good marriage, but a great marriage. But I want to tell you before you have a great relationship with your husband or your wife, you're going to need a right and good and great relationship with Jesus Christ. You're going to need that. Uh, and I want to, I want to explain to you why. Um, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but how many of you have issues? I'm not looking at you. I'm not looking at anybody right now. Um, I wasn't looking for a show of hands. Some of you are like, man, uh, Pastor, I got quite a few issues. You want uh you want know, the whole list or just the top ten here? Um uh, I wanna uh so issues, when we when we talk about issues, we're talking about things of the past that impact today, right? And I want to ask you um, how do you take care of the things of the past? How do you take care of the sins? That you have committed in the past, the things that you're a part of. How do you take care of that? How do you make that go away? How do you, uh, go from being dirty to clean? I want to tell you that's only through Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ. And some of you say, well, it wasn't, you know, part of my issues weren't, it it wasn't about what I did. It was what others have done to me. I want to tell you, how do you take care of those things? Same way, through Jesus Christ. Only one way. And so what I want to tell you about why it's Jesus first, having right relationship with Him first, is because if there's a problem today, chances are it's been impacted by the things that you've done or have been done to you in the past so you need jesus today well uh, what about what about the future what about the future uh uh can any of you think of anything you should worry about in the future some of you say oh i did that all last night (laughs) you know i was up half the night and i was looking to solve all the problems of the world you know uh no show of hands there either um As you look at the future, as you look at the future, you say, well, what is the future? What's going to happen? How can I be confident not knowing what's going to happen in the future? And most of all, as you think about leaving uh, this body, this earth, what's going to happen next? How can you be confident not knowing what's going to happen next and not... There's only one way. There's only one way. That you're forgiven in Jesus. And that as He left this earth, He says, I go to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving that you would follow after me at the end of this life as your plan comes to fruition. You'll go to be with me. So I want to ask you, how can you be confident about the future? It's Jesus. And I want to tell you that because of what Christ did on the cross, He is the only way that today in the present that you can handle life. And so uh, don't run ahead with having a great marriage, but make sure that your sins are forgiven in Jesus and that your uh, place in His family is secure because of what Christ did on the cross. It's the beginning of great relationship with one another is to have right relationship with So that's where we're going today. We've been talking about marriage, and uh, this is probably the last message uh, in our four-part series, and uh, on the weeks to come, we're going to dive into the book of Philippians. I trust that'll be a good study for all of us, a uh, a journey of joy, and so um, that's where we're heading. I want to share with you two verses today. If you'd stand in honor of God's Word, I'd like to read to you. Philippians chapter 4. Did I say Philippians? Thank you, RJ. You knew what I meant, right? Just one of those Ian books, right? Um Verse 31. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. God's Word says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. God, we thank you for this morning. We ask your blessing on our time. We ask that your word would uh, become part of our lives, that you would use it to transform us into the people you want us to be. Forgive us for the sins of the past uh, that you've taken care of in your son. Help us to be free from them that we might be uh, the people that you've called us and saved us to be today. God, we thank you in Jesus' name. May be seated. You. As you think about marriage, marriage is the ultimate uh, human relationship. And uh, the reason I say that is because in Genesis, uh, when... Adam was created, he was created alone, and it was the one thing that was not good is that there was no counterpart for him, there was no partner for him. And so in completing that, God created woman in a special way that uh, Adam and Eve would come together and be this first and really ideal relationship of husband and wife. This is the most intimate of relationships. And as we look at this passage this morning, it's not particularly a marriage passage. Uh, you realize that I think in the last couple of weeks have, we've been in chapter five where it was husband and wife passages. But this, these two verses we're looking at are really all relationships. All relationships should be like this and, and should have these elements to them. But I, I want to tell you this. If it's for all human relationships, how much greater it is uh, in the bonds of marriage. Uh, It's the most intimate relationships. In that uh, passage in Genesis chapter 2, it describes uh, what happens now that there's man and woman, husband and wife. That it says a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And so the description of husband and wife relationship is one of one flesh. Nothing more intimate, nothing more permanent um, than the marriage relationship. In the book of Ephesians, uh, it's a it's a book about how to live as believers. Having been changed, uh, being dead in your sins by the work of God, He brings you to life in Christ based on what Christ did on the cross you gain life out of death and now how do you live and and there's this process for all of us that we struggle with is you know we we have what life was like before Jesus and a lot of us just stay in those patterns and we say yeah this is just who I am but God doesn't want to leave us in fact before Jesus we're dead and so he wants to show us and call us to a life that's truly living and so the book of Ephesians, especially uh, the latter chapters, is all about what it looks like to have this new life in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look at the change that comes after we are dead in our sin and now that we are alive in Christ. I have a question for you though, uh, just by way of helping us with our message this morning. Um, what happens What happens when you don't get what you want? Think about that right now. What happens when you don't get what you want? Some of you are in your mind right now. You're going, well, you want to know what really happens or what should happen? Because those are two different things. I ask the question, what happens when you don't get what you want? What happens when you get treated badly? What happens when uh, people don't speak to you as you want to be spoken to? What, What happens when people don't do what you want them to do? What happens when things don't turn out as you expected them to turn out? What happens when your schedule doesn't happen? What happens when people don't agree with you? What happens when we're talking about your husband or your wife? What happens? Most of you have figured out that's a trick question. It's a difficult one. What happens when I don't get what I want? But most of us uh, say, well... Uh, I would have done what God wanted me to do, but they said this, and I couldn't help myself. If they would have done what they should have done, then I would have done what God wanted me to do, but because they didn't, I'm justified with whatever response comes out. What happens when we don't get what we want? We'll come back to that. In Ephesians chapter, uh, five, verse 31. Verse 31, we have letting go and putting away. Letting go and putting away. And, and as I point to this, it's, it's a list of things that are connected with, uh, my life that was dead in sin. My life that was dead in sin. And so, um, you have to get in your mind that those days are over. Those days are over. Um, Some of you know my dad, and uh, uh, he uh, grew up during World War II in Germany. And uh, I I remember him saying this all the time growing up, and it never dawned on me what he meant. Sometimes parents say things that don't make any sense to their kids. I need to remember this. You parents need to as well. But um, we'd be doing something, and he would say, oh, we're not going to do it that way. And I'd say, why? He says, the war's over. And I was thinking, the war's over. You know. And what he was connecting with, you might have done that during the time before the war, but we don't do that in time after the war. It's good times. It's not bad times anymore. And in our minds, we need to connect over and over again. Is this part, is is what I'm doing, or the way I'm treating this, is this part of the dead life? Or is this part of what God wants me to do because He has made me new and alive in Christ? Which, Which part is this? And so we start with that, uh, which comes and is connected to the dead life, our old sinful ways, and we are letting go of that, and, uh, probably better to say, as the scripture does, putting it away, getting rid of it, okay? And what is that? Well, in verse 31, it says, let all bitterness. I want to tell you too that this let all is connected with each one of these words. It's that, in fullness, all bitterness, all wrath, all anger, all clamor, all slander is to be put away It's the idea that he is ridding us of all that is dead, and I want to tell you that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's not parts of your sinful life that you hold on to. you get rid of it all, you get rid of it all. Uh, I know many times we think that some of our sins are kind of like pet or family sins that we can hold on to. That it's not a big deal. That Christ doesn't really care about those things. Well, I want tell you that's not true. Uh, so for some of, it, some of us, it's the way we speak. Uh, maybe we use foul language or we're unkind with our words. And you say, oh, I come from a long line. Hey, it doesn't matter. Uh, the long line was connected with a dead way of living. Now Christ has called you to Himself alive. In him, alive in him. And so he, he wants to uh remove all this from our lives. He he calls us to. He says, this is a process that he is about. The first thing he says is bitterness. Bitterness. And this word bitter uh, is the idea that they would even use for a sharp or an a- arrow that once you get stuck with it, it's piercing. It's, it, it's jarring. It's painful. Uh, bitterness is not something that's acceptable um it's a penetrating pain it's a, a pungent smell it, it, it's the idea that it it lingers and is bitter and and it's resentful it has implications something that happened in the past brings into the the present of what's going on it's an attitude and so he says hey get rid of that attitude get rid of it get rid of all that attitude that, that comes from bitterness. You know what's tough? Uh, we, we spoke of it earlier. Um, sometimes the sins of your past and the sins that have been done to you, they may have happened years ago, years ago, and still holding on to them. It's as if today, uh, that arrow is being pierced into you today. It has impact. And he says, that bitterness... Needs to be let go of. It needs to be put away. It needs to be out of your life. And and some of you are going, "Well, I can't do it." I want to tell you, you can do it, not on your own, but because of Jesus, because of what He did. And I want to encourage you if you're struggling putting away the bitter things of the past. We're here for you as the elders and pastors. We want to sit with you and pray with you and encourage you in the Scripture that those things would be put in the past. I want to tell you that. You say, well, it keeps coming up. Hey, it's okay if it keeps coming up because we have an answer for when it comes up. Jesus took care of that. And so uh, we want to help you with that. And so he calls us to put all bitterness uh, away in the past. And I want to tell you that if if you or me, any of us in relationship, if the sins of the past come into that relationship, it's not going to be good for the relationship, especially. The most intimate of relationships in marriage. Bitterness ruins marriage. Ruins it. When we cling to the things of the past, the failures of the past, when we cling to those things, it'll ruin what's going on today. And so he says, hey, get rid of that attitude. That attitude of bitterness. He goes on to say, wrath and anger. Wrath and anger. Um... These two words, wrath and anger, are connected with your temper. And you, you might ask yourself, so what happens when I don't get what I want? Uh, some might say, I get angry. I get angry when I don't get what I want. I, I have a temper. I, I, you know, I sort of boil over. In fact, that's that first word right there, wrath. He, these two words are somewhat synonymous, but there's a little different variation. The first word, wrath, is the idea of anger that boils up and over. Okay? And so some of you are thinking, well, what happens when I don't get what I want? I get angry. And I boil up and boil over. Why? You say, well, I can't help it. When I don't get what I want, I get mad. And I want to ask, do you throw yourself on the floor too? And you say, throw yourself on the floor. That's a temper tantrum. That's exactly what it is. If your anger, if you if you flip out when you get angry, I want to tell you that that's like a temper tantrum and we think that's reserved for kids, not for adults and certainly not for husbands, right? Or wives. That's not the, that, that's part of the old life. The old life by the way, um what is that? What is that? What what are you trying to accomplish with your temper? Most of us, when we get angry, we're trying to teach the one that is around us that brought that. We're saying, don't mess with me or I'm going to flip out. I'm trying to train you that when I don't get what I want, it's better for you when I get what I want. And if I don't get what I want, I'm going to flip out. I'm going to boil up and boil over. I want to tell you, that's part of the old life. That's not part of the new life. That, that's not, that's part of deadness. That's not part of living. It's interesting, as I was thinking about this, some of you would say, well, uh, this idea of relationship, relationships are super important. Your marriage relationship, there's nothing more important than that. Your relationship with your kids, nothing more important than that. As you, as you think about relationship here in the church and the people that you know, these people are eternal. You say, you know, um at my job, I don't need to have good relationships. I just need to win. I just need to do well. And I, I want to tell you that's probably true. That's probably true. In fact, if you're selfish and proud, it might help you at your work. It might help you. The competition of being the best and getting recognized and just looking out for yourself and working to succeed That might help you at your work. It will not help you in your relationships. It will ruin them. If you're allowing your temper, you say, I get really productive when I get mad. I want to tell you, that will not help your marriage. It's a bad way of doing things. If you're trying to motivate your spouse to live differently by your temper, I want to tell you, you're doing it all wrong. It's part of a dead way of living. That Jesus wanted to save you. A wrath is an anger that boils up and over. That second uh, word, wrath and then anger, uh, that second word uh, reflects more of an anger that is settled and abiding. It's the idea of the Cold War, right? It's the idea that I'm mad and I'm just kind of stewing. Maybe a different way of handling it. Some of us, one of us, some of you are prone to both. By the way, um, boiling up and over and then on different days, you're just kind of a slow simmer there, you know, but still, still the same deal. Anger's still there. Uh, I want to tell you, um, if you're just going to be quietly grouchy, if you're going to have a bad attitude and just kind of let it, uh, let everyone know that you're not having a very good day, you're not yelling or anything like that. Once again, you're trying to manipulate the people around you into doing what you want them to do. And I want to tell you, this is not what Christ saved you for. This is not healthy for your marriage. This is not healthy for your relationships. And so what does the Lord tell us to do? He says, let go of it. Put it away. Put away all of it. Put away all of it. The wrath and the anger that uh, is part of your lives. And then He goes to two other words. And he says this um, little bitterness and wrath and anger. And then he says, clamor and slander. Clamor and slander. The word clamor is a crying out against. It's uh, These two words are speech. Speech that cries out against. That speaks, uh, uh, is voting against. It's saying, uh, I- I'm crying out, you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, it's tough because when you think of the marriage relationship, he designed us for this one flesh relationship, and if we're designed for a one flesh relationship, uh, we're supposed to work in partnership, but when one part of the body is speaking out against the other, uh it's not right, it's not good, it's not healthy, it's not productive, it's not protective. A uh, marriage is meant that we would not speak out against one another, cry out against one another, but be protective of one another. And so he says, get rid of all clamor. The second word that he uses in, in speech, uh, uh, against, he says, get rid of it, is slander. And, and this is, uh, the insulting speech, uh, the speech that chops one another down. Um, I want to tell you that uh speech is powerful, isn't it? The words that we say. Uh I want to tell you in our household, um there's, you know, usually two kinds, right? Uh words that heal and energize and are kind and uh they they put uh wind in our sails, you know, they help us accomplish what God wants us to do. And then there's others where uh When failure happens, you say, boy, you were stupid. Boy, you know, who's the idiot who did Oh, you were the idiot that did this. I want to tell you that he he says, that's part of the dead way of life. And I want to tell you in your marriage, in your marriage, your words matter. Your words matter. And you say, yeah, they matter. In fact, uh, most of us are pretty articulate, aren't we? We have a, a good command of the English language. And some of us are very descriptive of the way we speak. And we can show passion. And uh, And as we communicate, we say, I want this. And when we don't get it, then we become articulate, right? Oh, so you're the idiot. Oh, and then, then if they don't like that, we, we use other words to describe the failure, right? and and insult more and and use our speech to hurt more all the while why because we're trying to train them that i need to get my way and you don't you, you look at these words bitterness you look at the anger words you look at the speech words and and all these things are responses to what not getting our way and they're designed designed to inflict punishment on all who are around us that we might eventually get our way. I want to tell you what I want to ask you, what happens when you don't get your way? I want to encourage you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ you need to put away bitterness. That's not the way to handle when you don't get what you want. Wrath and anger, they, these are not re- good responses to you not getting your way. And then uh the idea of clamor and splant- slander as well. Interesting, at the end of verse 31, he says, uh, he says put away from you uh, along with all malice. Um, that word malice, uh, Paul uses this in other places as well as uh umbrella term for, it's not just et cetera, but all kinds of sinful behavior, all kinds of rooted sin in you. He says, get rid of it all. Get rid of it all. Um, If I can say this, uh, just I think it's important for us to think this through. Your sin, your sin, if you don't get rid of it, if you don't put it away, if you don't trust in Christ to get rid of it, it will affect all of your relationships. All of them. And if it affects all relationships, all the more will affect in marriage relationship because that's the most intimate relationship. I think about uh, the church here often and just the marriages and families that are represented here and the raising of the next generation. I think of oops, three or four moms to be here uh, this morning. And boy, this is an exciting time for you. Uh, it's good time for you uh, to think through the implications of the gospel because fast and furious, are your kids going to come and you're going to have questions and and you know and you're not going to get what you want. You're not going to get life the way you want it. But if you know how to deal with that, it'll be a benefit uh, to your husband, your wife. It'll be a benefit of the generations to come uh, if you understand what it is to live not in deadness of sin, uh, but in newness of life couple of things i want to talk about just take a time out from this passage not that it would truly be a time out might be more exhausted when we get done but um a couple of things i want to point out um there's a wife and there's a husband and there's probably three or four passages directly related to that in the new testament husband's passages and the corollary wife passages as well uh and one of those I, i Maybe some of you are trying to get this and you say, So, what is a wife supposed to be? Or what is a husband supposed to be? I want to uh, give that to you. First of all, in uh, 1 Peter 3, uh, there's a husband-wife passage there. And in that passage, for the wife, it says this: that she is to be, or she is to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Gentle and quiet spirit. That's what a wife is supposed to be. And it says, a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of our Lord. This isn't just about her husband. This is about her being what God has designed and made her and saved her to be, a gentle and quiet spirit. Um, I want to tell you, ladies, gentle and quiet spirit when you don't get what you want. Okay? You say that's that's bad preaching, Pastor. I don't like that. Uh, hold on. It's not that I don't care, but I I, I want to give you that which is helpful for you. God wants you, ladies, to be gentle and quiet spirits, preciousness. Okay, that's 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 the wife's role. We are uncomfortable right now. I am too. Um, let's talk about husbands. Uh, husbands. They have uh, other roles. This is wife and husband. We talked about this in the last couple of weeks. It's different. It's not different. It's not one size fits most. Okay. Uh, it's, it's that there's different roles and responsibilities. Colossians chapter three. Okay. Colossians chapter three. It's one of those husband and wife passages. Got some kids in there too. Uh, some stuff. And in Colossians chapter three, verse 19, this is what it says. Husbands, love your wives. Hey, we, we looked at this last week, didn't we? No, we, it was in Ephesians that said that. But it also says it in Colossians. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Well, what if you don't get what you want, husband? Uh, mo- most husbands, uh, they like to get what they want. They like it. What, the good, life is good when they get what they want. And how do. What happens when you don't get what you want? You hit it with a bigger hammer, right? I uh, I remember uh you know on a construction side, I wasn't a constructor, I was uh uh handing boards to the people who constructed. But um I remember uh they're putting in this huge beam, this huge beam for a bank, and they're putting it in and uh this really just huge, huge uh Carpenter is up on a ladder and and he gets this beam in place and then he just starts wailing on it, just wailing on it and he, he has a pretty big uh, sledgehammer just wailing on it and he finally gets it in and he turns around and he goes cut it long and hammer it home because if it doesn't fit you just get a bigger hammer I want to tell you that works really well with construction it'll ruin your marriage. It'll ruin your marriage. It'll ruin your kids. It'll ruin your relationships. If if you uh, say, this is what I want, and when I don't get what I want, I'm going to make it miserable for everybody. I'm going to treat them harshly. In fact, uh in that same idea, husbands, fathers, parents, they're warned against treating their kids harshly. Why? Because it's not about you getting your own way. It's about treating in relationship, being winsome in love, in love, not in harshness. When you don't get what you want, it's not that you talk louder. When you don't get what you want, it's not that you go uh, teach them a lesson that you must be obeyed. Especially in the marriage relationship. I want to show you something, ladies. So what are ladies supposed to be? Gentle, quiet spirit. They're supposed to handle the difficulties of life. Not in this aggressive, I'm going to go make everyone pay. I'm going to get what I want. And I'm not going to stop until I do. That's not how ladies are supposed to act. Okay? How are men supposed to act? They're not supposed to act that way either. The harshness and... Uh, pounding something into submission. This is not how Christians act. This is not, uh, that's part of the dead way of life. There's a a new way to live. It's allowing the the Lord to get His way and His will in your relationships. Shall we move on to the, the new way of relationship? Verse 32. And I would just say it this way, if it may be helpful for you to hear this way. Uh, what's the new way of relationship? Uh, we're dead, dead in our sins, now we're alive in Christ. What is the new way alive in Christ? Uh, we just simply do this. We treat one another as we have been treated. Not by one another, but we treat one another as we have been treated by God. Okay, that's what verse 32 is going to show us. So let's look at it. Uh, He says, put off that other stuff. Now put on, this is the the way we are to live. We are to treat one another, or in context of marriage, we are to treat our spouse. First thing, verse 32, be kind to one another. Be kind. Um, Previous weeks, I've talked about making it easy for us to be Married to one another, right? But this idea of kindness is the idea that we bring good fruit. That the product of the gospel in our heart brings about good fruit in relationship. To be kind to one another. Think about this. Um, And and these are tough questions sometimes, as we consider our marriage relationship. uh, Do Do you think your spouse wants to be around you? Wants to be around you. Your kindness, is it drawing your spouse in? Or the lack thereof, is it pushing your spouse away? It's amazing to me. uh, You know, when when you're young, you have these really small houses and that's all you can afford. You'd buy huge ones if you could, right? uh But you, you have this uh, really small house, you know, you have this one bedroom apartment or whatever. And there's this sense of, hey, it's just great to be with you and this and that. And as time goes on, we're like, no, four thousand, five thousand square foot houses. Right. And it's just the two of you. Right. Right. And and you're like, man, if I could just get farther away from them. Why? I want to tell you, our kindness is meant to to draw us together. Our kindness is the response of a blessing uh, to being with one another. And I want to tell you that this is the call of God for us, that we would be kind to one another. If you think about it, in Romans chapter 2, uh, it speaks of our salvation. and It, it talks about you know, not understanding it. And he says, Don't you know that the kindness of the Lord led you to repentance? What does kindness do? It says, come near, come near. I want to be with you. It's good for you to be with me. Your kindness should draw people in. When we're not kind, guess what it does? It pushes away. I just ask you, um, you, are you the one that is kind in your marriage relationship? And is it drawing your spouse in? Secondly, he says this, he says, uh, tender hearted, be tender hearted. This idea of tender hearted is a compassion from within. Before anything happens, you're already cheering for them. You're already hoping for them. You're already hurting for them. Whatever's going on in their life, you, in inside it is not dependent upon the weather. You're already with them. Your heart is already for them. I want to tell you, is that true in your relationship with your spouse? Is your heart already for them? And you say, well, it depends. If it depends, your heart is not for them. It depends. If they're winning or losing. Is your heart for them? Okay. It's like being, some of you cheer for sports teams that are losers, right? You already are, you got that heart for them. I want to tell you, that this idea that you're already knit in your heart with your spouse, that win or lose, whatever's going on, whether they speak kindly to you or they don't, you're already with them. Uh if you are uh if it's contingent, if, if it's depending on the way they treat you or the you know what happens in the day or how you're feeling that day, I want to tell you that's not the tender-heartedness that God desires from us. And you know, as you look look upon this um, you need to know that God had a heart for you, he had a heart for you before you had anything for him, anything now why why do I know that because Ephesians chapter two it says we are dead in our sins, there's nothing there. He had a heart for you um, he was compassionate towards you, and lastly, I think this is the, the the biggest part, the peace that we see in the gospel that will impact our relationships. It says this, forgiving one another, forgiving one another. So he says, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted, and now forgive one another. Granting and giving something that wasn't deserved. When we forgive, when we forgive, there's a problem. There's a problem. Uh, and I, I could say it this way. We didn't get what we wanted. We didn't get what we wanted. We wanted kindness and mercy and service and, and affection. We, we wanted all these things. And for whatever reason, that didn't happen. So there's sin in our home, sin in our marriage. So what happens when we don't get what we want? Forget. Forget. You say, well, that, that doesn't make sense. You know? Uh, and I'd say this, no, it doesn't make sense that God loved you. It doesn't make sense. Because the, the, once again, the, the point that we're getting, and this is very important to see, is that we're forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And how did that happen? God loved us, so He sent His Son to die for us, that we would be forgiven of our sins. All the things that we were guilty of. And we're guilty because we did them, right? Because it was on us. It was on our tab. It was was on our ledger of things that were wrong. It was our fault. God loved us. Sent His Son, Christ, to die for us that we might be forgiven. And He says, in that same way, in that same way, forgive others. Just as Christ forgave you. He grant he granted us, he gave to us something undeserved, and we are called to do the same based upon what Christ has done for us, that we are to forgive. How many times in a marriage? How long have you been married, by the way? How many how many years have you been married? Sixty-two? Right? Sixty-two? Twenty-five? Less than one? You know? How many times in a marriage will you get an opportunity to forgive one another? That's a big number, huh? So here you go, I'm not really good with big numbers. Uh that's not my thing. Um, I, I want to tell you that God in the most intimate relationship of marriage will you will give you opportunity over and over and over again to display the heart of the gospel of his son, to forgive over and over again. And and, and he'll be able to show that. And by the way, if you have kids, guess what? Another opportunity there. Uh, Magnified, right? Uh, Sinning against your kids and them sinning against you. And the gospel, gospel can be shared in your home over and over and over again. The forgiveness that comes from God. Let me give you three things as we close. First thing I want to tell you, uh, just by way of reminder, is release from the past comes from Jesus. Release from the past comes from Jesus. If you feel like in your marriage you guys are hanging on to things and you just can't move on, I want to tell you the secret to that. It's not a secret, but, but the answer to that, the the, the problem that you have is, is to apply Jesus to whatever's gone on in the past. Forgiveness that comes from Jesus, and so release from the past will come through Jesus. Second, secondly, I want to encourage you: don't ski, don't keep score if the game has already been won. Okay, don't keep score in marriage. It's easy. It's easy. Sometimes you go, "Well, oh, you did this, and oh, you did this, and you did this," and I want to tell you that's that keeping of record of wrongs that the Scripture warns us against. Don't keep score if the game has already been won. If you if you are Christ, if He's forgive given you the past, if if your eternity's secure, if you know Him, I want to tell you uh, get good at forgetting, get good at forgiving, and and letting go of the bitterness. Why? Because it's been taken care of in Jesus. Don't keep score. And lastly, I just say this: riches of grace in you. Riches of grace in you will flow out of you. Will flow out of you. Because you've experienced the grace of the gospel personally and you know that and you live by that, uh, it'll be easy to flow out of you. But when you forget what you've been forgiven of, you'll go, ah, I'm not forgiven. They failed me. I didn't get what I wanted. I didn't get what I wanted. But if I didn't get what I wanted, I'm going to hold it against them until they uh, learn that I am not to be trifled with. I need to get what I want all the time. I'm going to ask you the question, what happens when I don't get what I want? I want to give you the right answer. I'm going to give you the right answer. Grace happens. Grace happens. Forgiveness happens. When we don't get what we want, it's it's an opportunity for us to live out the gospel and forgiveness and extending grace, the same grace that God gave us at the cost of the Son. God, thank you for this morning and what a blessing to go over your gospel again and the implications of it. We ask that you would do that work that we so desperately need. God, um, we marriages are at risk, families are at risk. Relationships, bringing shame to your name, God, uh, Lord, you, you've done nothing shameful, but because we're your children, and when we act sinfully, we bring shame to your name. God, I ask that you would protect your reputation in us, and that you would do your work through us. But thank you for your patience. Glorify yourself and your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And thank you so much for being here. I hope to see you next week.